right, everybody. It's uh, Saturday morning. Uh, <clears throat> sorry for the delay in getting this out, but my travel schedule has been a bit hectic lately, and I'm doing this from a hotel room <laughs> as it is. So, uh, but I need to do it. So, let's uh, let's get right to the. I feel like we should do like a CNBC, you know, uh, special coronavirus report, markets in crisis kind of thing. Um, here's the first question. AIG, not much to say, I guess. Seems a bit overdone. Question number two was, any idea why AIG has dropped close to 15 points since earnings? Does the virus have any f- impact of, on AIG? I, I mean, all the financials got hit because the, the T-bill rate's collapsing, right? So insurance companies and banks make a lot of money on the spread. And when... Um, when you're in, in, when they're doing their short-term investment, they typically invest in government securities. When the yield on those is collapsing, uh, it really cuts into their net interest income, and so that's why uh, you see, you know, AIG insurance companies got hit first uh, because they are much they're more sensitive than than banks tend to be when it comes to that stuff, and uh, uh, then the banks got hit this week as rates kept falling. Uh, you'll see them all turn around and rates go back up again. But, you know, everything seems like we live in a... Everything gets overdone on the downside world right now. And everyone's assuming a lot worse than what it really is. And everyone's thinking it's a lot worse than it really is. So, it's yes, it's way overdone. I agree 100%. Uh, the, the rates are probably the primary reason for it. And... Um, you know, there might be some business interruption insurances due to something like that, or, but I don't, I don't think it's a, a material thing versus just a, just the, what you've seen in short-term rates over the last probably two weeks. They've they've really come down a lot. You know, the Fed had an emergency rate cut of fifty points, and so that just adds all up to it. So all the financials are getting hit because of it right now. Uh, the next one is, what are your best buys in this market? Honestly, I mean. Take your pick. I mean, you know, you got Williams yielding 10%. I think Kinder Morgan's around 7 or 8 right now. Richard Kinder bought another 600,000 shares in the last week and a half. Every time every time KMI goes below 20, he picks up a slug of 300,000 shares. I wouldn't be surprised at all on Monday morning to see another filing from him that he picked up another 300,000 shares. It'll be almost a million shares in a week and a half. He's probably personally spend close to $140 million now since last January uh, buying his own company shares out of his own pocket. Um, so that should tell you something. Uh, you know, Apple got whacked. Um, I guess, so I guess my basic point and my basic thesis of this whole coronavirus thing is that it is, it is a sheer panic uh, based on a lot of false information and a lot of overblown fears about the possibility of what can happen. Um, and my thought process is this. To my knowledge, no one under the age of 50 has died from this virus. And I've also heard anecdotal evidence that children don't get it. Now, I've never heard of a virus that doesn't infect, that, that selectively affects age groups. I've never heard of that, and I don't know if one exists like that. Now, there may be outsized effects on certain age groups from a virus, but I've never heard 
of a virus that certain age groups are just simply immune from. So what does that tell you? So to me that says that if no one under the age of 50 has died from it, that primarily the, the effects of this virus are on the elderly who have compromised immune systems and other, other medical conditions going on that, like the regular flu, you know, not many 30-year-olds die from the flu. It's typically the very young and the very old because their systems are weaker, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, this is the same with this. But if you look at the coronavirus, if no one under the age of 50 has died, then that means that there's how many millions of people walking around, tens of millions globally, who have had the virus and either thought it was a bad cold or a light case of the flu and never went and got checked out, never went and, and were, were examined if I don't know oh, they had the virus. Because people that age group aren't dying. And the actual effect of the virus on those age groups is so mild that they don't need to go to the hospital. They don't feel the need to get checked up by the doctor. Oh, I just got a bug. That's what they're thinking. So if that's true, then the reported cases of the coronavirus are several, are, are, are just a fraction of what it actually is. And if that's true, then the reported death rate, this you know, 1% to 3% death rate you're seeing, is actually a fraction of that number. I mean, think about what we're doing. We are, we are closing businesses at conventions because 40 people in the U.S. have died from something. More pedestrians were killed last year walking across crosswalks in the U.S. than have died or, or are infected from this virus. So should we close all the streets? And this is the logic. I got an Uber from the airport today. And the Uber driver was telling me that he can't believe people are flying for work conferences. He couldn't believe it. And I looked at him and I said, buddy, you'd probably drive 200 people in this car all day today. How's that any better or any worse? People's logic in this is so, is so off. And, you know, it's, I mean, I honestly blame the media. The media has whipped, has done a, a marvelous job whip, whipping people into a panic. You know, we've seen it before. Bird flu, SARS, Ebola. Every three or four years, we have to have this health scare panic where the entire world is going to die off. Because, oh, the Spanish flu did it 100 years ago, 200 years ago, whatever that was. The, the, remember the plague in the 1400s? Well, yeah, but healthcare's evolved a little bit since then. People are A, healthier, live longer, better diets, et cetera, et cetera, than they did five, 600 years ago. So my whole thesis on this is that the coronavirus and the hysteria about it is just absolute garbage. And the reaction in the markets is absolute garbage. So my, you know, my thought process, what are my best buys? What's your favorite stock? It's probably down 10, 15%. Just buy it. Because when this virus fear subsides, and it will, and they always do, you're going to see a V, right? Because it's not destroying demand. It's not destroying things like this, right? 
So I think right now you're seeing a lot of inventory destocking. The U.S. is still fine. You see the jobs number yesterday? 273,000 versus 170,000 estimated. U.S. economic reports are still strong. You know, you have the occasional event or conference or something like that canceled. That's not going to put a major dent in U.S. GDP because, uh, what is that, XW, SW, South by Southwest is canceled. Oh, it's not going to affect GDP at all. It really isn't. Things like that are like a like a zero sum game. You, know, you 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 take away consumption in one area and move it to another area. They don't have that event, the consumption. You know, people got to eat, right? People are going to go out and drink and do things. They'll just do it where they instead of going to one spot and doing it, they'll do it where they were. So it's you know it's it's irrelevant. Maybe it's it's very relevant for that particular location that was having it, but that overall consumption it just happens in other places. So in the aggregate, it's, it's, it's a zero-effect event. It's going to get headlines, right? All the celebrities that are supposed to be there are going to talk about the virus. and Oh, oh so it'll, it'll whip up a little more panic. But, you know, I don't, you know, I, I took a play this morning. It was, you know, it was out of Worcester, Mass. and into New York. And it was three-quarters full, maybe more. There's no one wearing masks on it. People were sanitizing their hands every five minutes, but you know what? This time of year, you should do it anyway because the flu virus is out there because the flu is going to kill more people. Drunk driving is going to kill more people than coronavirus. I could list off, you know, heart disease, diabetes. They're all going to kill more people than coronavirus this year in the U.S. So, you know, Perspective. Um, sorry about that little rant, but it's just I find I find the whole thing. You know, you have you have doctors at NYU. You have the New England Journal of Medicine coming out, basically saying, you know, this is this is a non-event in the U.S. It's less less lethal and less fatal and less dangerous than these other ten things that we just. Don't even blink an eye anymore. But you look on Twitter and holy shit. You honestly would think the world is imminently coming to an end. I just don't. I can't get caught up in hysteria like that when I can look at look at numbers. And look at the data, and there's gaping holes in the theory of the death rate of this virus. There's gaping holes. I think the actual number of people who have that is multiples of what they think it is, which means the death rate is a fraction of what they think it is. And I think probably... A year, two years after this is all done, they go back and reevaluate all these numbers and realize, oh, it really wasn't that big a deal. And I think if I hadn't started in China, all the conspiracy theories about this genetic mutation, chemical warfare, all this kind of stuff, if it had started in England, it never would have gotten traction. But it started in China, saw the conspiracy nuts, started going crazy, 
people started buying into it because nothing sells like fear. It's just like the, you know, this is no different than the people who are bearish on the market because of this or that for the last nine years have gotten their faces ripped off in the market. This is the exact same thing. So, and you know what? If I'm wrong, we're all dead. So, <laughs> whatever. I mean, it's, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I can't put my life on hold and, and not try and accomplish things or not look at things and, and make investments based on fundamentals of companies because uh, uh, of boogeyman. So, uh, Fannie Mae, any thoughts on the delay, delay, delay? Well, I, honestly, I don't, I don't really agree with the theory that they're delaying. I think Calabria is doing what he can do. It's government. And government is never going to move at a speed that we want it to. Just never going to. Well, I think he's doing what he can. I actually, I actually think if you look at what he's accomplished or what's been done and agreed to and, and, and people who have been hired since, since January, I honestly think we're ahead of schedule. You know, I, I, I think that, you know, he, there were some goals that people had some expectations that something's happening. And that was, I was hearing in the end of December, January, that they expect the capital roll till summertime. Well, he's talking about end of March. You know, they got their advisors hired. So I, I think he's expediting the timeline. And I, it kind of goes along with the whole theory that he, he recognizes he needs to do this before the election. He's got a, a sympathetic Senate, a sympathetic White House. And if he loses one of those two, his job could become a lot more difficult. So you know, I, I think it's indicative of them wanting to get things done. You know, the hiring of the new, the, the posting out for the hiring of a new legal team. Interesting. You know, the backstory of that is I've heard that, you know, they're not happy with settlement negotiations with plaintiffs, that they're going nowhere and they need them to go somewhere. So again, we'll um, we'll see, but you know, I, I don't. I think it took. I think I think part of the problem is it took forever for us to get to this place, and you know, it's it's typical of government is that it really doesn't move until it has to, and, and it kind of has to now. So now things are starting to move. So um, my other question is regarding FHA hiring a legal attorney. And you mentioned the backdrop that settlement negotiations are moving too slow. My question is coming from a source who knows directly this or this is why or for someone who's just thinking it's the best way to put it. It's someone who has I've had conversations with in the past regarding things and they've been extremely accurate. Um, so I guess I'll leave it at that. Uh, you can thank me for the first two questions in the HHC conference call. My first question to them was, when do you think the seaport will be cash flow neutral? And basically, they don't know yet, but are you still bullish about the future of this asset? I am. I am. I mean, it's, it's, it's the, when it, when it, when completed, and they're really doing the Fulton fish market now, it's really going to be one of the few waterfront assets in Manhattan. And there's value there. And they have some very unique structure, uh, lease structures going on. Uh, which you know entitles them to portions of profits and revenues from these various businesses that are in there, um, and that's a you know that comes at a lower initial rent number, uh, but hopefully a higher aggregate earnout. So, as those assets 
grow and become stabilized. You know, in theory, the total outlay to HHC should be greater than just a basic rent thing, but they do share some of the risk initially. So, um, you know, I, I, I do think that it will be better. I mean, they had a significant increase in, in revenues from it this year versus last year, and it, just a bunch of stuff scheduled to open this summer. So I think we'll see even more progress there. So I, I am still optimistic about it. Um, this question is about CHK. Oops, hold on a second. Sorry about that. All right, CHK. I listened to Q4 earnings call. I was concerned that they were talking about an asset sale that paid on 2020 debt. Then later... They talked about still having 1.4 on the credit facility. Can they use this credit facility to pay off the 600 million debt due through 2021, or is an asset sell key? Well, yeah, they can. They can use the credit facility to pay off the six billion dollars of debt, but that's really just Robin Peter to pay Paul, right? You're still not Chesapeake's. What they need to do is is obviously lower their overall debt burden. Now you know. Obviously, as sometimes you can't do this, so they'll restructure debt and they'll push out the maturities and lengthen the debt so their cash flow outlay each year is less, right? Um, but the idea is to just get rid of the debt. Now, the asset sales they're talking about, the Haynesville shale assets, they've been looking to sell for quite some time. Obviously, the recent collapse in gas prices and Basically, oil prices because of coronavirus isn't helping. So I'm guessing any action on that, you know, is going to be tied to that fear set subsiding and then um, oil and gas prices returning to, you know, more reasonable levels. Um, but, you know, they, they, there's no secret. And they talked about last year when they're talking about the deal with um, Comstock. They were hoping to have closed that they'd be able to sell some assets in the in the Haynesville shale that they're really not even developing anymore. Uh, it's it's not as economically productive as the Marcellus, where they have a large footprint. Um, so you know they just want to get rid of it um, and get use that money to pay down the debt, lower their interest costs, et cetera, et cetera, um, make everyone more comfortable with the balance sheet. So the answer, so the long, short answer is yes, they can, but you know it really doesn't make sense to do that if you can do it through an asset sell of an asset that's not generating much of anything for you right now anyway. So um, any thoughts of adding to CHK at these low levels um, to lower cost bases significantly? I go back and forth on this. You know, I mean, the going concern notice was removed from the 10K. Kind of went unnoticed, you know. The going concern notice got noticed everywhere. But removing it got noticed nowhere. So one has to wonder how many people even know about it because people do not do their homework. Um, they're talking about being cash flow positive this year. All those are good things. Um, gas prices are a little troubling. It was a mild winter. So there's a, you know, a lot of storage of gas. It wasn't very a cold winter at all. You know, maybe we have a very hot summer, and that kind of works the same as a cold winter because um, of the air conditioning, and that gives more price stability and things like that. So, 
you know, I guess as I've said in the past, I have I have a decent amount of it, and I don't know. There's a couple, just a couple things. So here's what I look at. If I had a little bit of CHK, would I add to it here? Yes, but I have a decent amount of it, and it's still kind of kind of speculative, kind of you know not a sure thing. But then I look at you know I got. Williams, I think, is worth twice its price and you're going to pay me 10% dividend every year. That's going to grow. I got Kinder Morgan, I think, is worth twice its current price. That's going to pay me 7 to 8% every year and a growing dividend. You know, I got Apple that's dirt cheap. I got Bank of America that just got really cheaper. I got AIG that just got really cheaper. And these are all solid operating businesses that are going to do better year after year after year and have very little uh, survival risk attached to them at all, right? So given my current positioning in... CHK, I don't think I want to add to that, given the the bargains across the the very safe, predictable bargains I have across the rest of the stuff that I hold, you know. And I'm not anything I didn't mention. I'm not, you know. I, I think IIPR is a great buy down here where it is right now, um, given you know given the results they just pumped out, and uh, and I'm not seeing any movement at all on either the legalization of cannabis or the banking act doing anything. So IIPR's runway just keeps getting extended longer. And they're just going to be able to keep um, adding to their asset base and getting a huge lead on, on legalization. So, um, you know, I would even consider adding to them. You know, given, given their dividend and their, their dividends growing, you know, basically 100% year over year. And so I, I guess that's my answer. If I had a little bit of it, would I add yes? I have a decent amount. And given what's happened in the market recently, given some of the rock-solid businesses that have just been sliced, 10, 15, 20, 25%, have fantastic yields, I think, you know, and that's what I did. I bought Williams and Kinder Morgan. Like I said, it was like Sunday night, I, said I, was, I was buying Williams and Kinder Morgan Monday morning, and I did. And if they drop even more, it honestly, it's going to be hard not to buy more. They have almost two times dividend coverage. Oil and gas production is still increasing. We had record oil production. We have record gas production. The only way that gets transported economically is via pipelines. So, I don't know. I just can't. You know, I, that's just the way I look at it. So, um, let's see. Quick question on TPL. Yeah, so TPL is they're plugging along. They're they're gonna con- they're gonna convert to the C corp. There's no way they won't. At this point, um, I would expect post conversion. There to be some conversations about the trustees and their compensation versus their lack of stock holdings. Um, will they split? I think so. I think they will split to create liquidity um, to enable mutual funds, index funds, stuff to own them. Because right now they're not owned by anybody like that. And I think um, you could really increase the demand for shares of the ownership uh, once you once you do the conversion from the. Um, from a trust to a C-Corp. So I expect that to happen too. Um, There's really... (coughs) Sorry. 
I don't think there's a compelling reason not to to do some sort of split um, to create a little excitement and stuff like that in shares. So, um, yeah, <clears throat> that's that's my thoughts on it. Um, I, you know, I, th- I think I think I don't think there's a whole lot of work to do on it. So, you know, I'm guessing late spring, early summer that gets done. So, um, I think. I'll go through quick, but um, yeah, I believe that is. I believe that is it for the questions for this week. Um, apologize if apologies if I missed one, but I don't see any more, so I think we're good. Uh, so, um, I will be back next week. Please send in your questions. We'll get them out to you, get everything answered. And um, I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. It looks like, uh, at least in the Northeast, uh, spring is starting to try and poke its head out. We're looking at 60s for the first time in a while. So, I hope wherever you are, it's uh, looking like spring weather and things are good. Have a good one, guys.